Hello and welcome to 42069 The Sturge, coming through on the morning radio. Hey! <laughs> First up, we have the gas master, Jeb Wrench. Magic nerds are already pissed off about Modern Masters 2017 because of the packaging. <laughs> coming in late with all the traffic from the news helicopter, it's Fox Lee. Yeah, we've got a hold up on King Street. There appears to be a, a bike. And just just one bank. There's a guy. There's traffic around here. And I, of course, am your host, thumping his chest meaninglessly, Talon Lee. Have you been listening to Corp Line lately or something? Oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really nice to hear uh, news reports from a big city. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great city of Innsburg. Yes. Uh, when Alex Stacy streamed Cluster Truck. Um, oh, they had Richter on, didn't they, Ian? Yes. Oh, Ian Horner came in and gave <laughs> an impro- improvised corpline report as Richter. It was oh, glorious. <laughs> um, the listener, Corpline uh, is a comedy improv podcast by the Loading Ready Run crew. Um, they release, I think it's monthly or bi-monthly at this point. <laughs> Whatever they can. Yeah. We like it a great deal. It's got that very quirky, small town radio kind of feel. Just a completely dysfunctional, extremely weird little small town. With continuity. But yes, it has been a week. We got a podcast done. We're on a schedule. <laughs> we haven't got it done yet. We'll have to do another one so soon. <laughs> There's a cooldown timer. Hey, Fox, you been playing any video games lately? <laughs> Dude, you asked me just a week after our previous podcast. Of course I've been playing the same damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> what new things have you learned about the game you've been playing? Oh, I, I remember last time I wasn't sure if the support log was saved to the, the cartridge as a whole rather than to a game save. Support uh, log is my OKCupid okay profile name. <laughs> I'm always happy to fill out your support log, baby. <laughs> um, but turns out it is saved to the, the game itself and not to the save file. So yes, I am support grinding. <laughs> Everyone with everyone. Support grinding everyone with everyone is the name of my sex tape. <laughs> it's it's true what people have said. A lot of the romantic dialogues this time around are very sort of, the fuck was that? <laughs> In a way, it's good because the, the conversations leading up to that are more sort of platonic, whereas in Awakening, sort of every potentially romancy couple had somewhat romancy lead-ups, so you sort of felt like things stopped abruptly if they chose someone else. <laughs> um so yeah there's there's good and bad does does fire emblem the the fire emblem you play does it have the the same problem like dragon age games did where uh you're you would make conversation and you didn't realize you were making a romantic conversation probably not because that like it's very clear you got c b a levels of support and then there's s on the end and s is always you get married and in this case c b and a are pretty much non-romantic at all but if you go through to s it'll be like oh but secretly i was in love with you all along and ah, uh, it's quite frustrating because for almost all of them, it's I guy was secretly in love with you all along, and the other person is like, but I was secretly in love with you all along. And they're almost all exactly like that. None of them are like, oh, I I wasn't really thinking of you romantically, but now that you bring it up, or uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. I'll get back to you later. What the hell? Why not? Yeah, there's there's a couple which are somewhat random like that. Like there's a couple where people are like, this is gonna be friggin' weird, but let's find out. And those are actually kind of interesting. But most of them are, are just, you know, I liked you and I was too afraid to say anything. Oh, also I liked you, but I was too afraid to say anything. Now we are going to be a couple. It, it's a bit dry. The person I, I know was very upset in Dragon Age 2 when he accidentally uh, flirted with a boy. <laughs> and then, like, accidentally had to let them down gently? Yes. If, I ever, if we ever get around to me talking about Dragon Age on, on this podcast, <laughs> that, that's that's actually kind of an interesting thing they do with uh, that particular relationship path. It's only been three years of me saying, I should play Dragon Age, shouldn't I? I've got that installed. I should play Dragon Age. What bothers me is when the characters' conversations with each other are ruined by you romancing one or the other or both of them. Like Aww. in Baldur's Gate 2, Jahira and Aerie. Oh, yeah. Like, quite an interesting bit of character development together. But only if you're a girl, because if you're a boy, they just turned into bitch fighting instead. That one's especially so bad lame. because they work on basically the same 
track. Um, so it's possible you get some of the opening, these two characters are being nice to each other dialogue. And then you also, in individual dialogues, pass the romance threshold and a variable clicks over and suddenly on a dime, those two are at each other's throats. Uh-huh. And if you can tell both of them that you're not interested, but they don't go back yeah. to having their friendly development. They just stop. Ugh. In the, the Dragon Age games, after you, after you go to the romance path, the, the party dialogues, uh, they do acknowledge it in their party banter, but they, uh, it's more friendly and playful. If your, uh, Grey Warden is a, they'll, they'll ask about, uh, certain talents of the, the Grey Warden or things like that. They, it's, it's more about, it's, it's kind of, it's still got the problem of it being about the, the player character, mm-hmm. but it's also, it's a lot friendlier. It's not, uh, it's not claw your eyes out. Yeah, this isn't. Like, it's not bad because it's about the player character, it's bad because it's fighting over the player character. And in the case of Baldur's Gate 2, so we, we've we talked in the past about how when romance in video games, visibly you can see the mechanical structure of it and it all stops working and it feels kind of weird. Who wrote about that, I wonder? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that in particular has an added problem where in Baldur's Gate 2, they clearly wanted to make it so that the romances were a thing you kind of had to give up or make choices about. So it isn't just that if you have Jahira and Eri in your party and you romance one but not the other, they interfere with each other. It's also, like, at last check, don't they come to blows? Don't they actually attack one another? I don't think those two do. Other no, characters, Nedalise will fight you over Eri because he's a wank. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what she would want. You should kill each other for her. To, to be fair, some of the characters in Baldur's Gate 2 are a little thin, so asking what they want is... Uh... <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> yeah, look, though, I mean, I, I'm not saying she has deeply complex characterization, <laughs> but she has really easily grasped characterization. Yeah. Still, support conversations are awkward. Yeah, yeah. They're just, they're just a little bit lacking. And the... Mm, the way they handled the child characters this time around. I assume I'm not going to be spoilering anything for anyone if I mention that the Awakening second generation of characters, the reason that they show up in your game is because they get sent back from a post-apocalyptic world to fix it. One of the few good uses of time travel, actually, because it's like, yeah, I can send you guys back to avert this crisis. You're not coming back. No one's coming back. This world is over. Isn't that how they, they came up with the Tokyo Mirage sessions? Could be, I don't know, I haven't played that because I was like, that's not really my Fire Emblem. Uh, as someone who is not invested in either of those franchises, it actually looks kind of interesting. The child characters, who uh, in Awakening they got sent back through time, um, and that's why they were grown-ups, and you could romance them without it being totally fucking gross squicky. <laughs> in this one, when two characters hook up and they want to put a second-generation character into the cast, they use the excuse of uh, the child was put into a pocket dimension to get raised safely without being the target of the war. Uh-huh. And you grow up super fast in these pocket dimensions. They put them in the hype. They, yeah, they put them in the time chamber. <laughs> And uh, so not only are you a shitty parent who, from your child's point of view, you see, you know, a couple of times a year, maybe? See you at Christmas. <laughs> you you also get, like, the worst kind of cradle robbing where you can then get romantically involved with your ah! friend's kid who you saw get born and now is... Like, you, you, you have watched them grow up just in, you know, a few days, according to the game, because you can, you can go fetch the child as soon as you pair up the parents. Uh... It's just not nice. And a couple of them look really fucking young this time around. They, they got around the youngest looking characters in Awakening by having their romance ending be... Uh, you know, oh, that's really cute. It, it's adorable that you're romantically interested in me. Maybe we'll get married someday in the future. And then, because the children all come from the future world, it's like, yeah, okay, at some point, eventually you got together. But in Fates, it's like, yeah, no, they look like a 12-year-old, but apparently you can make a baby with them. It's so not nice. It's not ambiguous because you get married and then you have a dragon baby. It's not nice. No, 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 no. They they made it so the the child the dragon baby character that's yours can't have romances with almost all of the second gen characters. That doesn't really fix anything because they look older than a couple of them on each side of the story, and that just makes you question more why you can get married to the the fucking Shota boy hero kid. It's nah, it's 
It's not good. They fucked up the second generation this time around. Fortunately, it seems that people agree they fucked up the second generation this time around. So, they, you know, hopefully there won't be any of that nonsense in the next one. But uh, time shall tell, I suppose. As for me in video games this week, look, I had to attend Orientations. It, it, <laughs> it was a very bad sequel to Ori in the Blind Forest. <laughs> I, yeah, basically, I've had a very busy week. I haven't really played much in the way of video games at all. I did some get, did get to do some playtesting of some of my games, which included chin music. <laughs> but that's all. I haven't had anything really interesting to say. Hey, Jeb. Yeah? I understand, however, that you've got something to tell us about. What makes you say that? I know you, and I've seen your Twitter feed. Okay, I guess I might as well let everyone know that uh, I have been talking about and playing the, the the game that everyone's been talking about lately which of course is night in the woods oh yes i remember now it's a it's a short narrative game uh it's got a lot of branching paths and a lot of ex- exploration to do around the the small shit town that you were stuck in <laughs> and uh there's a, a lot of characters to meet and interact with um everyone is uh is uh kind of a stylized animal person uh, there's cat people and lizard people and bear people and all that other sort of things, and they all live together in this piece of shit backwards town <laughs> that they're stuck in. Life goes on. They're stuck in this piece of shit garbage town. Stuck a bunch so, of trash. like socially or economically, right? Not stuck magically? Uh, socially I and economically. We, uh, right, right. Socially I, I believe and economically. this is of the... Um... This is this feels to be much more of the less than Jake boring life in a boring town kind of feel. Yes, yeah, sorry, uh, go it's, on. It's a, I don't know how far to get talking about it without uh, dealing with spoilers. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a lot of it that is about the the, the main character May. She's a cat. Um, she's just dropped out of college and she's gone back home and. She is 20 years old. She doesn't want to be an adult, but she doesn't want to be a kid. Uh-huh. And she, no matter how hard she tries... Oh, Jesus Christ. It's hard to not spoil this game. <laughs> uh. All right, so tell you what. Rather than trying to synopsize what happens in the game, how about we give it... Um, Jeb, how did this game make you feel? Greg rules, okay? <laughs> Okay, so Jeb gives this game a Greg Rules out of five. I believe uh, Greg Jeb rules, summarized okay. Greg as... What was it? Uh, Greg, Greg, Greg is Greg is a very in- exceptionally sincere gay fox in a leather jacket with a fondness for knives. <laughs> it's a great kind of character to have in a game. And his boyfriend is incredibly nice. He's a bear. His name is Angus. He works at the video store. Mm-hmm. It's a video store? My God, this is the back of nowhere. <laughs> well, you can actually ask about that, and Angus will tell you. Mainly it's because there is a there is a, a market uh, for uh, a, a adult VHS tapes and DVDs. Yeah. That's even weirder. No, that, that's actually... the internet garbage in this town. Old people. Mm. Ah, okay, okay. And uh, this, 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 sh- this, this shitty town that everyone's stuck in has a lot of old people. Which is what happens with shitty little towns. That makes sense. Because the young people leave. Yep. And that's why going back is often seen as a sign of defeat. Or weakness. Or a lot of things that happen. And one of the... Even one of the major themes of the game I can't talk about without spoiling it, but um, <laughs> this this game had resonated with me on a level that Kentucky Route Zero did. Mm. Wow. It maybe even hit closer to home in a lot of ways. Yeah. Thanks to some fucking cat. <laughs> did it? Did it? Thanks to some goddamn, goddamn trash mammal with nightmare eyes. Is it? Is it? Is, did the game have to win you over, or were you already fairly bought in? Because I, I remember um, with Kentucky Route Zero, I, I personally started with a very arch kind of, all right, what's this trying to connect to? Feeling, and then I got to the gospel singers, and I was like, oh, I get fucking fine. I guess this is great. <laughs> Uh, I was I was skeptical at first, mostly because the the way it was described to me was, oh, it's a game about cute animal people. Ah, well, okay, <laughs> let's see. And then it, it starts off with, oh, she's a she's she's dropped out of college and she's heading home and thinks of herself as a failure and is trying to cling to something that's long since past her. Oh, it's a game about tragic millennials, you say? Yeah. I can't imagine that connected it... to anyone much in the gaming culture. <laughs> it, it's very much a game about tragic millennials. 
You also use the term sincere to describe Greg. I'm, look, I'm going to guess if this game is about the emotional ennui that you get out of failing at college and coming home and, and, and reevaluating yourself, the whole game's got to be pretty sincere or it'd look really mawkish. It is. Or just it, incredibly judgmental. It's, 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 it's honest. Mm. I can't say more again because spoilers. <laughs> um, would you consider the story kind of supernatural or mystery driven or is it just a very human yes. kind of okay cool yes all three yeah. all right excellent okay you know human for animal people but yeah everyone is generally quite sincere about things one thing i really really did enjoy about the characters is that they're not only are they flawed characters and they're believable characters but just because they have a particular flaw about them doesn't mean that that flaw governs their entire life um, you, you know how many games there are where, oh, this character has social anxiety. And that means in the typical, a typical game term, terminology, this person will not interact with another human being ever. Yeah. Instead, in Night in the Woods, this is a character who will possibly go out and do social things, really struggle afterwards, after putting up the brave face sort of thing that mm. a lot of people have to do. And... It really affects them. Instead of just being this thing they are, it's a thing that they have to adapt to and exist with. All right. So you liked it. <laughs> I liked it a whole lot. All right. I think we can derive uh, a lot from so the fact that Jeb is so unwilling to spoil the slightest thing about this game. If anybody wants me to spoil things about it, I will, but I don't think you should. We can, we, hell, we can give that another week. Um, if, if you still find yourself wanting to talk about things from in the game, we could do a, you know, Night in the Woods spoilery special. <laughs> Most important thing you have to know is that Greg rules, okay? Yep. <laughs> I, uh, okay. That's all I, I know explain, about this game at this I will, point. <laughs> I, will explain, I will explain Greg rules, okay? All right. <laughs> okay. May has, May has a journal that her therapist suggests that she keep after a thing happened back in high school. Uh, and she keeps this journal not by, you know, writing out pages and pages and pages of, of stuff like you see in other games. She draws yeah. things. And one of her drawings is a little scribble of Greg and written beside it. Greg rules, okay? Aww. <laughs> That's lovely. And then another page where she, does a, she goes and does a thing with Greg. Uh, it says... Happy Greg, okay, and there's a little picture of Greg, he's happy. Sad Greg, okay, and there's a sad Greg. Nobody likes sad Greg, because Greg <laughs> is wonderful, and he tries so hard. No. <laughs> also, uh, Greg is uh, best boy 2017, so every other game can just pack it up now. <laughs> we, found, we found the good boy. He's, he's a fox with knives. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> You're the second person I've heard say that in response to Jeb saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So, Night in the Woods sounds like a really wonderful experience, and Fox is continuing to fill in her support log. We, we actually have a special requested retro gaming news. Mm. Is it in commemoration of any particular event? Or? No, it's just a friend going, what year are you going to do for retro gaming news? You should do this one. It's got good, it's got good games. I'm like, yes. Okay. Yes, you're right. But we've already done 1998. <laughs> we haven't done 1999 yet, which is my personal break glass. That's when, <laughs> that's. Is it 1985? You're so close. And now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news that's been printed from the year 1986. Brought to you by a special request from Toto. So, 1986, the year. Uh, to give you framing for what devices were out at this point, you have, in September, Apple released the final computer in the Apple II line, the <laughs> Apple II GS. 2E. Uh... Nam <laughs> Namco released the Namco System 86 arcade system board. Atari had the 1040 ST, also the 7800 console, and the 2600 Junior. Sega released and the ooh, Master System. Boy, can we talk about the 7800. Ooh, that controller. The controller was a fucking block. Well, <laughs> Jeb can talk about it, I guess. Sharp released the twin Famicom home console system in Japan, and Nintendo released the family computer disc system, an add-on for the Famicom. Texas Instruments were in the game at this point, and they released the TMS-34010, 
a CPU with graphics-oriented instructions, which eventually powered arcade games. Why did no one know how to name things at this point? Because they were all releasing to highly technical uh, niche fields. That was no supposed was... to be funny rhetoric. Oh, okay. That Texas Instrument CPU wound up powering Smash TV, Mortal Kombat, and NBA Jam. I will note, the only ones that actually fucking lasted out of this are the ones who knew how to name a console already. That's true. Famicom and the Master System. Uh-huh. Uh, this, is also the peer- this is also the year that Acclaim, Majesco, Ubisoft, Bethesda, Tradewest were founded. Wow. Yeah. Bethesda is that old. Bethesda is <laughs> 31. And Quantum Link? Quantum Link isn't here on the list of new businesses, but Activision... <laughs> well, uh, I think it was... Hmm? 86 was the year that Quantum Link became AOL, and that would mean oh. this is when Neverwinter Nights came out. 1986? Neverwinter Nights? No, no. The first one, yeah. There was a Neverwinter Nights in 86? Holy Jesus. There was. Huh. Wow. It was, uh, the, it was the first graphical uh, multiplayer user... Uh, multi-user online game. Well, it's... It, I don't think it's in my list. I'm not. I'm not going to give that away per se. This is also the year when Activision merged with Infocom, which basically, for me, uh, as a as a as a young man, is when I realized that everything I liked would slowly be eaten by things I don't like. <laughs> oh, honey. Mm. All right. So we're going to do the whole year according to Wikipedia's notable releases from 1986. So there are going to be things I miss, like this doesn't seem to mention Neverwinter Nights. Now, I could be wrong about 86. That might have been 87. Called Neverwinter Nights and everything. Yes, and it was uh, co-developed by SSI. Ah, wow. That's about the right time for SSI to be doing shit. Yeah, it was the Goldbox era. Yeah. All right. So first up, we have Commodore releasing a game for the Amiga, which, quote, it kept running unmodified on all versions of Amiga hardware and operating system. Uh, the game was developed by Bill Williams back when a single developer would make Ooh, everything. Oh, I should recognize that. Uh-huh. Uh, it was often cited as the first commercial title for the new Amiga 1000, perhaps best known for unusual gameplay and concept. The player is immersed inside a human brain and must cure a psychosis that's threatening the patient's well-being. Many aspects of the game, including enemies and power-ups, play on the psychological theme. The four player uh, avatars are a human bodybuilder, a water nymph, a mysterious wizard, and the alien Spriggan. <laughs> Well-established psychological concepts like the bodybuilder and the Spriggan. Like, <laughs> wow, um, okay, yeah, I have no idea. Computer Gaming World described this game as the most challenging game currently available, describing it as a bizarre cross of adept and marble madness. Yeah, it turns out I got nothing. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jeb, you want a chance to guess? Nah, I got nothing. It's a game called Mindwalker. Huh. Yeah. Never heard of it. And it was a 3D action platformer. 3D? Yep, yep. Fuck. With a graphical interface and everything. Yeah. Fake, fake 3D, like 2D 3D, or actual fucking 3D? Actual 3D. Holy shit. It ran like a heavily pregnant penguin. Guessing it wasn't an action game. Uh, semi-action. You yeah? did have to react to things reasonably quickly. Oh, man. Um, next up, Namco releases their first game to use a Yamaha YM2151FM sound chip. And if that <laughs> clue works for anyone out there, anyone, I'm genuinely impressed, designer of the Yam- Yamaha 2151 <laughs> sound chip. That's a prestigious... To be fair, I know, people, I know people who would who would probably... Oh, that's the... Yeah, good point. We do actually know that kind of person. So who released the thing that had the ship? Namco. It's Namco, okay. It's an arcade game. It is a Um, deluxe version of an existing game. Is it a Pac-Man? No, it's a... uh, It's called Sky Kid Deluxe. Oh, Sky Kid, of course. Yeah, who who could forget Sky Kid? Funnily enough, they used this as the test bed for the sound chip, and then we're like, okay, great, this works for everything, use it everywhere. I think I've actually played like the first Sky Kid. It was a two D side. It was a side scrolling shmup, kind of like uh, uh, like Defender. Yeah, and it was a, it was a coin muncher as well, so you could just insert a new coin to a, to continue from exactly where you left off. Um, and it relied heavily on, uh, sorry, the original one was basically CGA graphics, you know, that particular area of teal, purple, black. Um, oh, yes. Whereas the upgraded version, Sky Kid Deluxe, used a, um, used a more EGA palette, like 16 colors. Woo! Whoa! All right. Ahem. 
decadent. I could give you the name of this company that released this game. I could give you the name of the head designer. I could give you the name of the platform, and you would probably guess it. <laughs> we is probably would. SimCity? If I gave you one of these three elements, you would probably guess what this thing is. Oh. It is the is first game in a series that is still going. Uh-huh. This is not SimCity. It's not SimCity. Uh, this is a... This is on the... Tell you what, this is on the Famicom computer disk system, all right? Uh-huh. Disk system? Yeah, so this is a, a NES game. But an advanced NES Donkey game, Kong? perhaps. Uh, nope, not Donkey Kong, but you are in the right... You're in the right, uh, stable, as it were. Uh, the head designer Mario. was Shigeru Miyamoto. Well, that's not Mario, that's is probably this? Zelda. It is the first Legend of Zelda. Wait, no, is this the disk system? Yeah, the family computer disk system. Okay, that's the that's like the second quest of Zelda. Uh, according to this, this is the very first game in the Legend of Zelda series. Mm. February 21, 1986. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> well, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not a historian on this. Take it up with Wikipedia, Jeb. Wi- Wikipedia might be wrong. Wikipedia might it be wrong. may need your help. Yeah, I, I mean, according to it, it's saying the release date was February 21, 1986, um, and it was on the Famicom Disk System, then also on the Nintendo Entertainment System, and then later on the Game Boy Advance. So, Because, um, <clears throat> like, there was a Disk System Zelda. That was a different thing. You downloaded, like, a, a dungeon, uh, like, every couple weeks over the, the phone system. Wow. Um, Early internet was just, like, this mystical foreign fucking... Magical oh, sorry, spell the incantation land. It was a uh, satellite vision. That was that was uh, ah. radio signal. Do you remember Data Blasts, Jeb? Did they ever do those in Canada? No, well, never did them here. There were British TV shows that would, over their credits, they would cram like programs, um, like just pages and pages and pages of programming code that you were expected with a VCR to frame by frame, pause, 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 all the way through it to, to code a whole game into your thing, and they would just put these at the ending of their show about computers for the, like, yeah, you the see what player. we had what we had uh were uh computer magazines and yeah the, the the latter half of the magazine would be pages upon pages upon pages of either uh basic or machine language to to uh, punch into your commodore or vic or amiga system that's pretty cool all right next up snk released a game which shared many enemies with many elements with taito's frontline from 1982 that added two players simultaneous play and visuals closer to 1985's commando it is snk's breakthrough game in the u.s SNK? Uh, SNK. It was also developed by Micronix for the NES. There's only one game in that short, sort of genre that I know from SNK, but I'm sure it didn't exist until later on. Uh, how about this? The player characters are Ralph and Clark from King of Fighters. It, okay, it's, it's not Metal Slug. It's Metal not, Slug is not that old. It's not Metal Slug. Okay. But Ralph and Clark do jump into the Metal Slug. I believe it was Ralph slug. and Clark, because they they're do, so boring. They do jump into Metal Slug 6 and Metal Slug 7. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Um... <laughs> They are so boring. Most of SNK characters are so interesting. But what Smash TV? Bozo's doing no, uh, this was made to riff on Rambo. The whole thing was inspired by Rambo Two First Blood. Uh, sorry, Rambo First Blood Part Two, and the name is actually <laughs> a pun on the Japanese name for Rambo Two. Uh, you want to give us a hit? Uh, give us the translation of the Japanese name for Rambo Two. Oh, it's called The Furious Escape. Oh, okay. Good fucking it's luck. in English. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the game. The game's called Ikari Warriors. Oh. Really? Really? I did not realize at all that that was SNK. I've heard of that, but in no idea it was them. Yeah, this was, the, the original title was just Ikari, which is Fury, which is the Furious Escape. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, what distinguished Ikari Warriors from its competitors at the time was it had rotary joysticks and a two-player mode. Yep. Emulated very poorly on home computers at the time. Yeah. Rotary joysticks weren't a thing yet? Uh, no. Wow. Arcade stand-ups didn't all, didn't all have rotary joysticks. A whole bunch of them actually had... Trackballs. Yeah, trackballs, and some of them had orthogonal joysticks. Oh, yeah, okay, that, which, would, that would be a different Which thing, worked yeah. like a gear stick on a car. Like, it had a really specific... They were, they were like eight-way ones. Yeah. Yeah, we had yep. one of those. That yep. was... That was... Configuring that thing was hilarious. <laughs> Next up, Enix releases blank for the Famicom. <laughs> now, uh, Enix. Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest. See? <laughs> I didn't need to give more clues than that. Oh, I played the sequel to that. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all can see my troll face right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, North American version of Dragon Quest. 
had numerous no changes, ahead. including battery-packed RAM save games. There was concerns that these uh, battery-backed RAM saves would, would fade over time. There was a worry that your save wouldn't last for 17 to 20 years. <laughs> I get, To be fair, if I picked up any given game that I had played to completion and the save was gone in 20 years' time, I would be pretty bummed. Another thing that the North American version had that uh, the Japanese version lacked was were uh, multi-directional uh, sprites. Yeah. It was, what was that, sorry? They, you roboted on us? The, the Japanese version lacked directional sprites. Oh. I mean, you were always facing the same way? Yes. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> vintage. And, and, Blank and, release. Oh, and, sorry. and, the North American version called Dragon Warrior because of copyright reasons. <laughs> or trademark reasons, sorry. Trademark reasons. Apparently Dragon Quest had already been taken. <laughs> the North American version of Dragon Warrior was given away as a promotional offer to subscribers to Nintendo Power Magazine. Nice. Good deal. And used to get that is how I started, And that is how I started playing uh, role-playing games. Nice. All right, so next up, Blank releases Blank as a sequel to Blank. The game was not released in North America because it was deemed too difficult. <laughs> too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so what game am I talking about, kids? Too many blanks in that sentence. Right. Well, I think Nintendo released yep. Super Mario Brothers 2 yep. in Japan, <laughs> yep. and that game is bullshit. <laughs> Yes, it's Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels as the sequel to Super Mario Brothers, which was not released in North America because they thought North Americans were weak. That's what the Lost Levels is. Yes, ah. yes. and it's bullshit. It's really that bullshit. Game, that game is bullshit. <laughs> it's not that it's not that people in North America were weak. No, it's that we wouldn't put up with that kind of bullshit. <laughs> There were levels that required you to run over top of the the stage itself. Yeah. <laughs> so it looked like you were doing some bullshit ROM hack thing. Yeah. That game was bullshit. However, <laughs> we're expected to glitch. It is the game that introduced Luigi as being different than Mario. As being playable was that? As being different than Mario. Ah. It is the game where he first was able to jump higher and also where he got the butter shoes. He has oh. less traction less traction than Mario. He jumps higher, and I don't think he can regulate the height of his jumps. Huh. Luigi, not for some reason I processed it as if you'd said, Wow, Luigi. And I was like, wow, he's been around for a fucking while. No, that, so, was, for, that was a Mario tennis game. <laughs> Next up, <clears throat> we have... Oh boy, Namco released a JRPG with password saves into the arcade. Ooh. So you'd sit there and you'd input like a 14 digit password and when you saved the game it would give you a different 14 digit password and you'd write that in and, and basically you were programming your saves. Mm, well, I... When you say JRPG. Yeah. Well, it's also an adventure game and it required two players. Huh. Um, required to, I want to, it's not with tiny dinosaurs, is it? No, that would fucking own. Okay. Though it does have a fantastic, on the no, cover, the, the, the cover art for this game has a fantastic combination of, uh, real life background photography with, oh no, drawn, il illustrated components and photographs of toys. Oh, it almost as sounds monsters. like an Eve. It almost sounds like Eve. <laughs> No, uh, it's called Return of Ishtar. That no might idea. be part of the. That might be part of the. Uh, um, oh God, what's that series? Dragon Hunt. It's the sequel series? to the Tower of Druaga. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, ten years after Atari's breakout, Taito released a game which added power up in unique levels. Arkanoid. Arkanoid. In August, Nintendo releases a game by a per by someone called Makoto Kano, which is the first in its series that's still going, technically. Metroid? Metroid. Metroid 1, yep. Um, <clears throat> get this. Electronic Arts releases open-ended space exploration game, which goes on to sell a million copies. That That's a lot Internet. for back then. That is a huge amount. Uh, it's a space Elite? exploration... Nope. Uh, space exploration role-playing adventure game developed by Binary Systems, published by Electronic Arts, originally developed for the IBM-compatible Antandy systems. 
It was later released for the Amiga, Atari ST, Macintosh, and Commodore 64, and a fully revamped was released for the Sega Mega Drive and Genesis in 1991. It's the open-ended story, me. Yeah. I have no idea what that could be. Yeah. Um, it... This sounds... It's not Elite. No, it's not Elite. Uh, it might well have served as inspiration for Elite. Um, critical reception upon its release was extremely positive. Um, it's received favorable reviews in 2012. Uh, Lee Hutchinson of Ars Technica called the game a thing of awe and reverence and said that it defined the genre of space exploration games. Wow. This game is cited in the inspirations for Dwarf Fortress, Elite, Star Control 2, and Mass Effect. And it has the incredibly generic name of Starflight. Huh. Well, you could do that back in those days. Is that the... Is that the one where you would land on a planet and you would be trying to rescue people from a crashed spaceship and sometimes they would be aliens and you'd have to shoot them? I think think that's this game. Like, I'm I'm ultimately working on a Wikipedian um, summary. Next up, someone mentioned a game with a pair of dinosaurs. Oh, is, is there a bubble bubble in this? Yes, Taito released the first bubble Yay! bubble. I felt like we were the right yeah, kind yeah, of vintage yeah. for that, but I wasn't sure because I know so mm-hmm. little about arcade games. I see arcades cost money. <laughs> and, <laughs> and fuck if I was getting any money to spend on something that didn't even like come home with me. By the way, Bubble Bubble was delightful. <laughs> I'm into anything where you play adorable dinosaur brothers, frankly. All right. Next up, we have a game that has, man, man, just the, the Pacific Ocean played merry hell with how shit happened back in this time. I swear to fuck. Okay, so this game is the port of a arcade game that reimagined a whole bunch of the concepts and ideas in the game. So while it's technically the same game, a whole bunch of the things have been renamed or reskinned or rebadged to appeal better to an American audience. No. And it got sequels that are disconnected from the sequels of the game it's a port of. <laughs> ah, Super Noah's up. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm just trying to sort this out here. So, there's a Japanese version of the game. Yep. That got ported over to North America. It got ported to the Sega. The Sega version got ported to America. Uh-huh. And the port, before the port went to America, they were like, all right, we'll, we'll make a Japanese version of this port as well with all the rebadged reskin stuff, even though it's the exact same game as this other thing oh, you wait, can also so they, buy. they made a, an American i5'd version, and then they made a Japanese version of that as well. Yes. And they okay. started to get it, and the two branches got separate sequels. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea what this is, but it sounds really interesting. This game features, amongst other things, baseball caps, grass skirts, and skateboards. Adventure Island. Adventure Island by Hudson Soft. I've never heard of this. What was it originally? Wonder Boy! Oh! (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) This whole thing is just... There is a massive legal snarl over re-releasing Adventure Boy, sorry, Adventure Island before the Wii because companies that were involved in the localization process got some of the rights to it because they were developing assets that were then included in the game. Oh, right. Which is just such a strange <laughs> thing to happen. Wow. And then Adventure Island got an arcade port in America. And don't forget that eventually, like, Wonder Bo- one of the Wonder Boy sequels yeah. is, like, a completely different game that also got reskinned. Yes. No, that sorry, that was Alex, that was Alex Kidd. Alex Kidd, yeah, yeah. that was Alex yeah. Kidd. Got sorry, the, I thought you were saying. I thought you were going to say how um, Wonder Boy Three: The Dragon's Trap is a completely different style of game, and it's like a, it's an exploration platformer, whilst all the other ones are kind of side-scrolly fight ones. <laughs> you just wanted to talk about Wonder Boy Three. Wonder Boy Three owns. Hey, guess what? Yeah, I had to clear out all my uh, Wii store credit when I briefly told my Wii that we were in the UK, so we could download Netflix. Yeah. It's usable in Australia, but you can't download it because <laughs> Nintendo and online stuff, lol. Yeah. But yeah, so I had to spend the last, like, I don't know, $4 worth of credit or something. <laughs> so we have Virtual Console Wonder Boy 3. Oh, sweet. Wii. <clears throat> I apologize to Jeb for talking about these bizarre consoles that are strictly mythological creatures. <laughs> Yeah, I, I assume that they exist there somehow. Virtual Console is a tale told by our people for many ages. All right. So I have a Wii U. There's, next... I have a Wii U. There's a Virtual Console on that. <laughs> 
So we have a 2D, 3D game, which is to say a game that used, was one of the earliest ones to use completely 2D components to try and simulate a 3D space. Uh-huh. It had multiple arcade, uh, no, it had multiple arcade components cabinets including a deluxe sit down cabinet um 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 uh, um uh, it's a it's sega a game no oh. not oh, tanks it's not outrun it's sega outrun it's outrun hey cool so they had like a joysticky one and then they had a car one for if you were feeling really saucy it's a game that you can play in yakuza zero <laughs> That's wonderful. Also, awesome. I didn't know this, but Outrun is non-linear. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, it, it, yeah, it's got fucking... Yeah. I didn't know that. It doesn't because mean Because you never anything, got past the first level. There was, there was seems also, like choice. There was also a whole bunch of branding shenanigans to make it so that their Ferrari was not too much like a Ferrari, but also enough like a Ferrari to convince car fans of like, no, we did this on purpose. Oh, yes, I it was really that. cool. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the soundtrack I could just, is just classic. I could just give you the Japanese oh, name of this game's yeah. release uh, and, and see if you can get it. Uh, Akumajo Dracula. This is, this is Castlevania. The very first Castlevania, <laughs> 1986. With, so that's like, you know, Demon King Dracula or. Uh, Something like officially that. translated as Devil's Castle Dracula. Castle, right. But uh, yeah. Also, well, Devil Demon, yeah. Also with that rat as fuck Boris Vallejo style motherfucking watercolor cover, which Ugh. the game could not live up to that look. <laughs> the no, but they kept trying like, to the point yeah. where the American, was it two or three where they had the super pretty boy main character? They uglied him up for the American version. version. Yeah, <laughs> they neared him. <laughs> I don't know, he, he confused Americans or something. Too pretty. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, this is this is one of those games that barely made a move outside of Japan. Apparently, uh, was released by Namco, uh, side-scrolling beat 'em up game released as a coin-operated video game. It ran on the Namco System 86 hardware. Namco. Uh, the thing about it that was noteworthy is that it wound up giving Namco the capital to start branching out into the home consoles more aggressively. So um, it's just interesting. Uh, it's called Genpai Toma Den, or the Genji and Heike Tale of Demon's Demise. Nothing. I I know nothing Absolutely about this. Nothing. The listener, if you know something name. about this, yeah, if you know something <laughs> about this, contact us and let us know what you think because that's a rad name. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> it's the first game in its series created for this character and the most popular of all of them of all time because you got it for free. Oh, is this Alex Kidd? <laughs> it's Alex Kidd in Miracle <laughs> World. <laughs> Which is the best-selling Alex Kidd game of all time. <laughs> best-selling, and by that we mean people bought Master Systems. Yeah! <laughs> Apparently one of the challenges uh, in designing me, Alex Kidd... The best, the best Alex Kidd game is Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed. <laughs> hey, hey, we said best-selling Alex Kidd, not best. I think you'll find those two things are almost completely separate. Yeah. Um, I'd so... be surprised if Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed outsold... The Sega Master System. <laughs> yeah, probably if you don't adjust for uh, yeah, it's a genuinely, for the expectations, then yeah. It's a numbers. genuinely interesting thing. Uh, I think it would have to. So the technical elements of Alex Kid Miracle World, for anyone who didn't know this game, if you had a Master System and you didn't put any cartridge in, it would just start playing this game because the whole game was on the BIOS. This meant that the whole game had to be able to be put onto the BIOS without any operating system or anything like that basically getting in the way. Oh, I thought I had like a separate chip. It didn't quite. It yeah. still had to use some of the onboard mechanisms, which meant putting language in the game was actually at a much higher cost than putting graphics in the game, Ooh. which is part of why the translation for Alex Kidd in Miracle <laughs> World is so fucky. Also, luckily, why there luckily, are errors yeah. in it. <laughs> is Miracle World the what? one with the uh, arcade plotline and the the bizarre god interference and all that kind of stuff, or is that no, the later no, one that's that that's a sequel. Guilty? That's a sequel that okay. was uh, that was on its own card. Was isn't, it, that was also, isn't that also a reason why the the boss fight mechanic of paper rock scissors was implemented? Oh, yeah. it's that one. Yeah, yeah. right. Because. They needed a new mechanic, but they needed something that could fit in a minuscule amount of data. By the way, was Alex Kidd a... Was he a Monkey King clone character to begin with? Is that why he looks like that? No. We don't know? No, no. he's just a kid named Alex. Okay. There, There is very no, little... No. In the, the greatest of... Uh, in the greatest uh, Alex Kidd game, Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed, when you <laughs> activate his super, his, his star power, uh, you actually get the on-screen paper-rock-scissors animation. 
Now, what we can tell you about Alex Kidd, the character, is that he... Because the game doesn't tell you this plot. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> Alex Kidd, the character, is actually on a quest to rescue his long-lost brother, Prince Eggle. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Prince Eggle. Uh, that's Dizzy, right? <laughs> who was captured by the antagonist of the game, the evil tyrant called Janken the Great, who has taken over the peaceful land of Redaxian. <laughs> Ooh, where do I know that from? Because Radix was a different game, but Sega. No, it's from uh, it's from Baba. Maybe I say. <laughs> anyway, Possibly. Retaxus. Retaxus was yeah, from yeah. Baba. Yeah, but yeah, uh, he was Prince Eagle was also sometimes referred to as Eagle in the translation. So yeah, they that improves it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not not consistently. Yes. So he, you're telling me his name was Alex all along? That the Japanese title is Alex, Alex Kid. Wow. Yep. That I I just assumed that was a lost in translation kind of title, but all right, nope. All right, now we, now we get into the area of my expertise. We have a game where <laughs> you can drink acid and melt your head off. We have a oh, game. Space Quest. Yes. <laughs> um, Space Quest One. Not a lot of games that would let you be that aggressively stupid, but <laughs> yes. it's nice that some of them were. <laughs> Uh, Space Quest 1 um, sold over 100,000 units in its early run and has apparently around 200,000 sold to date, not including compilations. It was made by a couple of the programmers who were working on the Sega engines, which ah. is one of the differences between it and other games like King's Quest, um, where Sega, Sega, sorry, Sierra were releasing the engine to the developers and saying, all right, here, it'll do the things that we, you can tell it to do, make content for it. Um, and because these two programmers had much more closer to the closer to the metal they could put in mini games and they could put in special kinds of animations that the game couldn't normally do uh but they were also total tools who <laughs> thought that everything else was too serious so why don't we make a game that is non-stop <laughs> sci-fi jokes it worked out pretty well for them yeah but anyone who's played the arcade sections that they programmed into space quest one well, bullshit on yeah. toast I mean, because you can write a funny thing doesn't mean you can make an arcade game. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it started a thing and it wound up being a bit of a franchise. And, you know, I, I still have some fondness a for Space A bit of Quest. a franchise. <laughs> mm. Also, they were apparently deeply depressed working at uh, Sierra because it was... It had very much become everyone trying to be Roberta Williams, and only Roberta Williams was good enough to be Roberta Williams. Sure. So you had all these people forwarding game ideas that were really serious and medieval and trying to be very somber right. with the original Sega engine. Sorry, the original Sierra engine, which wasn't that good. So this was um, a, like a microcosm of the WoW killer concept. Yeah. All you needed to do was just make something that was different and interesting to the big thing, but nope, everyone was gonna try and be that thing but better. With the success of Space Quest, um, Robert Williams at um, at Sierra recognized that comedy had a Robert market. Williams? Not no, Robert, it's Ken Robert, Roberta. Ken Williams. Ken right. Williams. That's what I yeah. No, you're right. You're fuck, right. Fuck, because no. they were they weren't siblings. They were married. Right? They were married. Yeah. If you were Robert and Roberta, that's and you the worst. got that way by marriage. Yeah. No, Ken Williams is the one who realized that humor sold. So that's when he hired Al Lowe. And that's how Let's Just See Larry that happened. Downhill yeah. from there. <laughs> well, well, I will say further to that, that's also around the point where the the Murphy book, the, the Space Quest guys made the next iteration of the engine and they decided, and they released it to Ken and Ken said, all right, we want someone who can do a little more Grand Vision. And he got an old Dungeon Master friend of his from college. <laughs> And she got on her husband, and that's where Laurie Ann and Corey Cole started making games for Sierra. And they made the Quest for Glory series. And I will Quest for Glory, the perfect baby, yes. fight you. Yes. The other, the other reason why the why the Space Quest developers were were not really fond of working at Sierra, of course, is that they were <laughs> taken from their home galaxy. Yeah, you can't really judge that, to, man. And they were brought to Earth to current time by Roger Wilco. Yeah, as demonstrated in the historical document Space Quest 3. Exactly. <laughs> We've had this on record for a long time Yeah, now. this is well known, yeah. Um, also, we have a action platform video game for the family computer disc system in Japan and the Nintendo Entertainment System in Europe and North America. Whew! Aww. It had a bit of a gap between its, uh, <clears throat> its, it its initial release. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's Kid Icarus. Ah. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to do the math in my head. 20-year gap. Between what? Between its release in North America and its re-release. Um, oh, wait. No, sorry. Not, not 20 years. 17 years. It got released on the GBA in 2004. Ah. Okay. Uh, you might want to look at the uh, the Game Boy. ba 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 so I according, according to this, uh, according to this, there was no Game Boy really release of Kid Icarus. There was a Kid Icarus sequel on the Game Boy. Oh, there was a sequel. Okay, uh, I thought the uh, 3DS one was the sequel. Mm, no, uh, the Game Boy the Game Boy sequel to Kid Icarus called Kid, Kid Icarus of Myths and Monsters, and was largely recycled levels and elements. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so right, well there we go. Superb. I wonder but, why they never made a third one. But until... crucially. We're not talking to Metroid and Metroid 2 here. We're, we're talking... Uh... <laughs> yeah. We're talking Mario and Lost Levels. Um, but... <laughs> now i got to watch the speed except, of that. Except, that, except, that Kid Icarus, except of Myths and Monsters was much easier. And not bullshit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it got rid of a lot of the fucking maze sections. There are Pit, many flavors of bullshit. Pit is a recurring character in the American animated television series. No! Captain yeah. N, the Game Master. Except that never except happened. They, except, except they call him Kid Icarus. Yes! <laughs> oh. And his thing was that he always handed his sentences Icarus by saying Icarus Icarus. Oh my god! <laughs> All right. And now we have... Man, I love Captain N. Captain I N is very much you. a Jeb thing. It is. <laughs> like, the the, the, the revelation, ridiculous thing. The revelation that Jeb loves Captain N is the least surprising thing I've learned in some time. <laughs> Alright. And lastly, in this year of 1986, we have a... God. Hmm... A side-scrolling action game produced by Namco, originally released as a coin-operated arcade game. It was distributed internationally outside Japan by Atari. You are a secret agent who must rescue your female partner from a terrorist organization. Boo. It was released for various computer platforms in 1987 and the Famicom and NES in 89. The original arcade game was included in various classic game compilations as well. It has a truly amazing name and a really great piece of cover art. Oh, wait, that wasn't cover art. That was a flyer. They used to distribute flyers for arcade games to say, come to this arcade, we have this game. Yeah. Elevator action? Um, no, no. Uh, the name is really good. Like, the name deserves to be on an actual movie. Um, oh, like it's an a actually good gun. name. Yeah, an actually good name. Um, it's a run and gun. Uh, it could have two players at a time. Um, Tengen, <laughs> Tengen released a version of it. Are they the ones who did the horrifying clone port weirdness thing? They're, they're the ones who bootlegged Nintendo chips, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and got away with it for a while. I don't know how. Um, <clears throat> in 1996, Next Generation Magazine ranked it as the 43rd best game ever made, but also noted that it was a controversial choice. No idea what we're talking about. Yeah. In March Contra? 2012, it was... Re- nope. In March 2012, it was released to the Namco Arcade iOS app. Uh, <laughs> it was also released on the Wii Virtual Console as part of the a Pac-Man side- Arcade Party. A side-scrolling... Run and gunner. Namco? Where you're playing a spy. Yeah. It was called Rolling Thunder. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I had never heard of this game. <laughs> no. It was on the Lynx. Wow. Wow. And cancelled. So there are oh. versions of the cart around that are Lynx carts, but it was never officially on sale. Oh. Yeah. That's a Yeah, get me one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, when Tengen got involved, things got really squiffy. Wait, Jeb, you have a working Lynx? No, not yet. Okay. Gotta get me one of them, he says. Just have to say, if you uh, have working Lynx and I have a working Game Gear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Ten, ten, Tengen did some just, wonderful things, by the way. Tengen did some wonderful yeah, things, ten, but like, Tengen they made Clacks, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Clax was Atari. Wait, they did they... Gauntlet? Ah, I thought Gauntlet was Western right from the start. Um, well, okay, let me rephrase that. They did the, the NES port for Gauntlet. Just, right. they might have done, ah, like, okay. they might have done, like, yeah, a, yeah. like, a port for Clax for the NES. Uh, they did, they were the people responsible for the best baseball games on the, the NES. The RBI Baseball Series. Huh. Huh. 
That's awesome. All right. And one they, final they were the ones that oh. had the, they were the ones that had the the shelf muddling black cartridges that didn't have uh, <laughs> spine didn't have the the same kind of spine label on them. So while you normally be able to look along your your shelf and see the name of the game on the on the label, you couldn't do that with a Tangan cartridge because it didn't have the same kind of spine. It didn't have a flat spine to it. So they were monsters. They're like the good twin of Wisdom Tree. <laughs> They really are. <laughs> now, though, I will say wisdom wisdom trees uh, wisdom trees cartridges look look nice. Yeah, with that with that, yeah, with I'll that, give you that. With that gaudy powder blue, with that yeah, gaudy powder nice blue, and the, that was really a hint to what everything in the game was going to be colored. <laughs> Alright, one last note about this year. When Atari released the 1040 ST personal computer, it was had a megabyte of RAM and it cost $999. Right? This was the very first market purchasable computer with a cost per kilobyte under a dollar. That, that's pretty fucking historically meaningful. And the Atari 2600 Junior was a home console for 50 bucks. Yeah, that would have been an amazing thing. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't know what you could play on the 2600 Junior. I'm going to imagine it looked like Lego's fucking, but... You, well, anything that... It would play anything on the on the VCS. It was a smaller VCS with fewer uh, controller ports. Okay. God, now I'm remembering how the skelet. Uh, sorry, what was it? The Scantrix. We we talked about this um a while ago. The scare. The, the vector. The vector the console. The vectrix. vectrix. God, that <laughs> looks <name>. good. <laughs> the neat thing about the vectrix, listener, is that it is impossible for us to show you. Even if even if we were to show you pictures, it is impossible for us to show you how good the vectrix look in action. Why is that? Because it used vector it used vector display, and that's not what contemporary monitors used use now. Yeah. You can't you cannot show on a pixel display how perfectly fine a vector display is. <laughs> can you show it on an analog? Yeah, if you if you look at it in person you absolutely can, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like well what I'm saying is we if you want an analog screen, you could go get one off the street around here every sort of week or so. Oh, okay, no no no. No, even though you, no, no, even CRT, though use... uh, 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 yeah, a, a, a CRT still uses uh, a, a digital display. It's, a, it's still a form of digital display. This is literally yeah. uh, aiming mirrors and lights behind the fucking screen. So, what you need a like a, it's like a projector. Yeah, the, the Vectrex in a way, had its a own non-digital Vectrex, projector, like a the Vectrex itself had its own display built in, oh, and damn. that's why they still yeah. used. That's why they still used cost eight hundred dollars. <laughs> And uh, yeah, apparently okay. are in demand uh, by engineers. Mm-hmm. They're they're a sort of a nice retro kind of. Um, you can use them for tech drawing in a really <laughs> nice way. Well, it also had, it had a it had a it had a light pen application. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. Wow, I was so far ahead of its time. It hurts. Oh, and by the way, that Atari Twenty Six Hundred Junior until the Xbox was the most best-selling American-made console. It sold 30 million units. Turns out if you sell it for basically a month's worth of paper route money, you get a lot of people buying your shit. <laughs> well, it also, it also helps that like, the, the VCS did have some great games on it. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that was the idea behind the GBA, right? Um, the 2600... Sorry, not the GBA. The, the Game Boy, the first one. The 2600 Oops. was the longest-serving console at that time. It was retired after it 14 was... years. I was going to say, it's still the longest-serving console. Oh, I'd imagine that. No, it got, it got officially retired no, by Atari. No, the PS2... I'm saying the PS2 no. have actually kept longer. No, it's actually Unofficial. really weird. Um, the, the longest-lasting console is technically the Sega Master System. Oh, huh. Brazil. Because it's still in production in Brazil. Right, right, right. Which is, you know, it's it's an odd technicality, but it's there, and because chip advancement has happened, you can now get key rings with Sega Master Systems in them. <clears throat> I want one. Well, yeah, I mean, a while ago they'd sell those, <laughs> uh, you know, controller with six Sega games in yeah. it style of thing. You just plug it straight into the TV. Well, I mean, Jeb, have you seen the, um, I believe it's called the, um, the Sega Master System 
lady or girl or something like that. It's a, it's a Portuguese word. I don't know the exact one. And it's, it's a powder pink Sega controller with the master system inside it. And you just plug it into the out ports of a TV. And it's just like, let's go. And it's got like the 10 most popular games with girls in Japan on it, including D makes of games that came out after Sega folded out of the hardware business. That's the really like extraordinary part. I don't know the names of them. They were, they were all listed in Portuguese. <laughs> But they had release dates on them, like two thousand and two. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and there is a, there is a, there is definitely a market of uh, these uh, more authentic hardware versions of what well, is ostensibly emulated software. Uh, and instead of just playing ROMs, it can actually the the, the the this emergent market is recreating the actual hardware as best as they legally can for these <laughs> old uh, systems. To first of all give you a way to play them, but also a way to do things like uh, run video capture or display them on a modern television. Right. Well, that's what this whole NES Mini thing was about, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the NES Mini Classic was uh, is more of a software thing. It's more of an emulator. Oh, it is an it's emulator. Less, oh, okay, that's it, a bit disappointing. It is less, that is less accurate to hardware than things like the Retron series. Okay. Yeah, but... Yeah, you still have you still have um Yeah, uh how about how about the fact that there was a Sega Master System release in 2011 <laughs> of a game called Digachan. I don't know a goddamn thing about it, but it happened. So yeah, the the Sega Master System 1986, it's still happening. We have three major franchises. All right, all right. Yeah. Anyway, 2800 the, was the, the longest 2600 Console? Yeah, it, it was the one that stayed in its current existence as long as possible until the 360 came out, and then apparently well, the PS2 pissed on that. Uh, but that also depends on if you... <laughs> yeah, Jeb? I was going to say, the, the VCS, like, it had several iterations. Yeah, yeah, uh, th- this page has, like, all this scroll down the side of different versions of the Atari and different numbers of plugs and different peripherals, and some came with the jo- with the joystick hard plugged into it. Oh, sure, sure, but, I mean, there's no way that the 360 lasted longer than 14 years. Though. No, that was my mistake. I, I mixed up my dates. I, sorry, I mixed up my data points there. The 360 is the first oh, one to outsell American it console. in money. Right, yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. Sorry, best sell it, outsell it sure, in units, sure. which when you consider that the price point for a 360 at launch was, what, $300? Something oh, like that. that. Yeah. Oh, in the US. Yeah, in the US. Yeah, like, okay. here, here, here it's was like 600 Yeah. It was fucking huge. It's just, the 360s. The 360 arrival in Australia had so many bad things happen to so it. It might only have been 500 The PS3, when it launched, was 600 Well, it, it was closer to like $1,000 when you had to buy your second 360 because the first <laughs> oh, one... yeah. The first one, yeah. Bricked. Well, you know, they, they didn't like heat, it turns out. Yeah. It, well, that's the thing. It was, a, it was a perfectly good stress test they did on these units in California where they had tested the idea of what if the temperature peaks at this for uh, two days at a time? And that's fine. That worked. It's just the problem is in Australia, that's most of summer. And sure. it'll it'll wreck uh, the, the bonding. <laughs> I think that's what happened to my 3DS battery. It's yeah. like slightly bulging. Well, and I don't think that's a good thing. No, that's not good. That's not good at all. No. Same, they, they, they also didn't like secure down the heatsink on the three, original 360. So, yeah. Well, that's... Oh, how do you make that mistake? Well, that's. No, that was a design decision. What? <laughs> they didn't do a well, very good job of the initial design of the Xbox 360. That's the thing. They weren't hardware makers at that point. That is shit. That's bullshit, though. I'm it not was a hardware maker, car- and I know that, that you was- secure the damn heatsink. That was their second <laughs> I've console. I've looked at a computer's guts before. I know things. <laughs> It was their second console. Fucking not hardware makers. Uh, I remember hearing horror stories about the Xbox 360 in Brazil as well. Um, above and beyond the piracy issue, oh. because uh, Brazil, for, for lack of a better word, Brazilian power grids at the time were chunky. You would get a surge and a, and a like not quite oh, brownout, right. but you would get slightly irregular power distributions. And apparently, 360s did not like that at all. Normally, I wouldn't imagine any console liking that, but I guess they were especially sensitive. Yeah. And yeah, just it's just really interesting because the internationalization of hardware has to remember that they are physical things and they live in a space. And much of the same way that um, I would not think to design an object that could accommodate being kept at below freezing for any length of time. Like, you know, it just wouldn't occur to me. And, and sort of more to the point, like, you know, your average PS4 game with its fucking 10 gigabyte patch after oh. a year or two. <laughs> Talent still hasn't played Bloodborne. This is partly because we had to wait two days for Bloodborne to patch. Yep. 
Thank you very much, the listener, for paying attention once again to the Downloadable Concept Podcast, which is supported by patrons like you, I assume. And thank you very much for all your support. You've helped us do interesting things and bought us pizza and maybe we'll be getting an even better service soon. We don't know. correct to say thank you for patronizing us? Yes, thank you for patronizing us. Patronize us all you want. Um, And if you happen to like this episode, which featured a subject brought up by the listener, feel free to send us subjects or requests and ask us to dig into particular things. Ask us about topics. Yeah. I'll I'll talk about almost anything, whether or not I know what I'm talking about or not. (laughs) We have a range of different perspectives and we have a range of different research apparatus available to all three of us. Feel free to send us... Also, I'm a journalist, so I don't have to look, not actually know what I'm talking about that have a <laughs> loud enough opinion on it. Mm. And I'm an academic, so I can always tie it back to something completely unrelated. <laughs> and I'm a munchlax, so nobody expects me to know what I'm talking about anyway. <laughs> and sometimes you eat things. Anyway. Sorry, were you going to finish that microphone? That was Jeb. That was Fox. And I'm pretty sure that was Talon. Tune in next week, but until then, Greg Greg rules, okay? (laughs) Okay.